Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. So glad you're here as we're just in the middle of the series under construction. We're looking at how uh, uh, having an enduring home does not just happen by accident. It doesn't just occur through random happenings, but it has to be through very uh, particular work, very intentional work, uh, sometimes very difficult work uh, to create a home for your, uh, for your family, for yourself uh, that's enduring, that lasts no matter what life throws at it. And so what are we, how do we do that? And we, we've discovered there are tools that God gives us. There are things that we can employ into our lives. And that's what we've been in a series now in a season where we're just looking at those tools. Today, uh, I've been thinking this past week and actually a memory popped up uh, just yesterday on my phone. And on this, this memory was, I believe, about eight years old. It popped up on Facebook. And so I saw it on my phone yesterday. Uh, the memory was me just putting out there, it was not a picture, but it was me putting out publicly. I said on this memory, uh, well, today I ran eight miles in the rain. I put that in parentheses. So I guess it's time to make it public that I am going to run a half marathon this year uh, with uh, the Bass Pro Half Marathon. And in that memory, I also put, I said, truth be told, it's a run-walk program. So you running purists are going to squeamishly look at me and say, I didn't actually do a run. And for you, I just simply say, I'll see you out there on the course. My point being a little dig saying, okay, you're critiquing me, but you're probably not running yourself. That was my way of doing that. So, uh, so I put that out there and, and I did, I accomplished it. We made the, the, I made the run happen. The run walk, uh, truth be told, was not very fast. There were, uh, at one point I was probably about, uh, two miles from finishing and the marathon runner lapped me. He passed me up. Dana, I'm on the phone with Dana at the time, and I'm like, there's a bike that just passed me. And he, she's like, I'm like, what is that about? And she goes, that's the pace bike for the marathon runner. And, she, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I see him back behind me. I can see him about 200 yards behind me. And Dana was saying, do, whatever you do, do not let him pass you. Run hard. Do not let him pass you. And I'm like, babe, I'm going to tell you right now. Not going to happen. That's, I'm seeing his pace. I'm not going to be able to keep up at that pace for two miles. I know myself too well. And, uh, and so he passed me, but I completed it. And, and truth be told, the reason I did it uh, was for my goal. I had set a goal uh, for running this race, this half marathon. And I learned after the fact it was the wrong goal. It did not help me. The goal for me to run... And I, I wanted to do it because I wanted to be able to tell people in perpetuity, hey, you know, I did a half marathon. I did a half marathon. You know, I did a half marathon. And, and, and I thought that was what, during those times, I'd, I'd get up and I'd do these, you know, I'd have to do one long run a week, and then I'd do a couple of maintenance runs throughout the week. The maintenance runs were pretty easy, but that long run, when I started doing eight, nine, ten miles an hour, and, you know, there were times, one time I was in a park and there was this, huge cloud of gnats. It was in August and there, you know, they, and I had to run through this cloud that was probably 150 feet. And I remember just running like this because I knew I was going to breathe gnats in. And I'm sitting there as I'm about halfway through this cloud of gnats. I'm like, why am I doing this? And I'm like, oh yeah, because I want to tell people 
that I completed a half marathon. And so it pushed me through. There were times that my feet were achy or my legs were sore. And I would say, why am I doing this? And I would go, oh, yeah, yeah, to say I completed a half marathon. Well, can I tell you the truth now? That was my goal for completing the half marathon. And I completed it. And can I tell you the experiment or the thought failed? You know why? Because when I say, hey, guys, you know I completed a half marathon, you know what most of you do? Most of you look at me, and you're nice, and you're, you go, oh, that's cool. That's what you say with your mouth. But what you say with your eyes is, I don't care. The meaner ones of you, and there are some of you out there, maybe with your mouth you say, well, what have you done in the last eight years? Because I can tell you, you haven't been running anymore, right? And so my point is, is, is by me, my whole goal was just to be able to say, well, I crossed that off my bucket list. I checked it off and I, I accomplished it. And that's something that not everyone accomplishes. Good enough. You know, really, that was not the goal. That was not the thing that could help propel me. That's not what most runners run for. Most runners, correct me if I'm wrong here, Pastor John, because you are a runner. Most runners don't just say, I'm doing it so I can say I do it, right? Most runners aren't running saying, I can do it so I can keep people off my back or so I can say, hey, I did more than what most people do. Most runners, they run for a totally different reason or they run for some different reasons. And, and what I experienced at the end of the run I realized after my run was over, I'm like, now that should have been my goal. That should have been why I did it. What is it I'm talking about here? Well, about a mile out, Dana calls me, and she's like, now where are you? Where are you here? And I told her where I'm at. I said, I think I'm about a mile from Bass Pro. And she said, well, there's some people around that are waiting around. They're waiting around. They've been waiting for a long time, Tony. They're waiting around, and they want to see you finish. And so I just wanted to know where you were at so that they would know and be prepared. And so, so I'm like, okay. And so I hung up, still not thinking a thing about it. Still, in the end of the race, I know at this point, I'm like, I'm going to finish. I know I'm going to finish. Not really having a lot of fun at this moment, but I know I'm going to finish. I'm not going to cave in at this moment. So I'm just doing my little run-walk thing. And when I get about 150 yards from the finish line, I experienced something I was not prepared for. I experienced... Some friends, friends, friends that are, have been friends with me during the time, you know, people from Northbridge that are alongside the roads, but also I've not only seen friends that are in my current life, I saw people that I knew 20 years before that, people I knew 10 years before that, people that had been running and they ran into Dana because they're in the same pack and Dana's like, hey, guess what? Tony's running, you know, and everyone's like, what? You know, and, uh, and so they have to see it with their own eyes, you know, and so there's people from, from long past that are there. Don't want to overspeak here. I don't want to say, oh, there were hundreds of people. No, but there were, there were scores of people, and they were alongside the road, and they're there for me. They're there cheering. Tony, go! Keep it going! You know what happened? At this moment, at the end of my run, when I am spent and I'm like, oh, I want to be done with this, all of a sudden, it was like someone gave me a B6 shot. And like, I can sprint. Now, keep in mind my sprint. Some of you are like, that's not a sprint, Tony. It was a sprint for me, okay? And I, I kick it in because I want to finish strong, right? And everyone's, go, Tony, go, go, go. And they're cheering me on. And something, when I crossed the line, something I was not prepared for at all, 
uh, did not think it was going to happen, never thought in my training. I, I find just this emotional, overwhelming feeling that I find myself crying. I mean, you'd have thought like Chariots of Fire was playing and I was running for the honor of America or something. Or like, you know, I was, you know, bringing in six or seven special needs people like we've seen that, you know, running with people who can't run for themselves. Nothing near as noble as that, okay? I just finished. I finished, but I'm like, I go to the knee, I take a knee, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm crying, I'm crying. And, you know, people watching me are like, man, what is his problem? Well, my problem was just the connection of all of these people, and I felt their love, and I felt their support, and I felt their encouragement, and especially uh, during my training, because I purposely trained alone. Uh, Dana would be like, you want to run with me? I'm like, no, for the good of our marriage, no, this is not a good thing. I'll do it by myself. And so I was very isolated through this whole training process, and now feeling people's encouragement and support was really overwhelming for me. And I realized afterwards, I'm like, that's the reason I should have been training to begin with, to cross the finish line for the glory of finishing, for the glory of people saying, woo, go, Tony, go. That's what gets runners moving forward. That's, what, that's why people do those kinds of things. Not, not just to say, well, I did it. Check that off my bucket list, right? I realize as I go to thinking about what is the goal what is the goal to go through all that we go through to make a home that's enduring, to make a home that lasts no matter what the enemy throws at it, no matter what the world throws at it around us? Why do we go to such great effort? Why do we spend the money that we spend? Why do we take the time that we spend? Why do we put ourselves into so much emotional travail and struggle just to have a home that is enduring, to have a family that's enduring? Why? Why? If I were to ask that question today, I would guess that we would say, you know, uh, well, happiness, right? I want to be happy, and I'm sad if my family's falling apart, and I want to be happy, you know, for, for happiness. I, you know, people, people might respond by going, you know what? If I'm in a home that is falling apart, it's there's not going to be any peace. There's going to be fighting. There's going to be discord. There's going to be arguments. I just want, I want to be able to come home and be at peace with everyone around me. You know, some, some people would say, well, I'm pointing to my children, right? I'm pointing to my children. I'm pointing to my grandchildren. And in order to launch them to be the kind of kids, to be the kind of young adults, the young men and women that, that make me proud, that are good for our society, we need to have this kind of home. Uh, those are our goals. And hear me clearly, those are all good things. So I'm, th none of those things are wrong. None of those things, you know, you're not, you're not wrong for thinking them. But I would submit to you that there's a goal that's even deeper than those things. There's a reason for us to take the effort that we take even more so than just all the things I listed. And that's actually found in 2 Peter. We, we've been kind of camping out in, in 2 Peter uh, unintentionally. That's just where we find ourselves as we're looking at these tools that God gives us. So, and so I direct your attention to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse chapter, or I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 11. Peter is describing what it's going to look like when you and I stop breathing. And if we're Christ followers, if we say yes to King Jesus, then where, what is going to happen in our lives? Uh, Peter writes, he says, God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
What Peter is pitching here is the image that one day you and I are going to walk across, run across, crawl across a finish line just like uh, the finish line that I crossed running a half marathon. And it's not going to be a marathon, an experience where there's ticker tape that's still on the ground, but the, the time clock is done and everyone's wandered off and you just see a janitor cleaning up behind, behind all the crowd. No, this is going to be the prime time. When you're crossing across that finish line, there are going to be a glorious, there's going to be a glorious cloud of witnesses surrounding you. And what are they going to do? They're going to be noting you. They're going to be noting that you are coming across. They're going to know your name, Peter says. They're going to be cheering for you. You are going to cross. You're going to have not just an entrance, not just an entrance into the kingdom of God, a grand entrance into the kingdom of God. That's what the word says, a grand entrance. Think about this. Think about this. Uh, when Jesus created, when, when Jesus was a part of it, when God created the cosmos, he, he, he created the heavens and the earth. And what did he say? It was good. It was good. And, he, and then the next day occurred. And what did he do? He created the mountains and he created our, our land and he created the Grand Canyon and he created, uh, he created you know, uh, the, the Himalayan mountains. He created the Rocky Mountains. He created vast deserts and created these incredible landscapes. And what did he say? He said, it is good. It is good. He created life and how it teemed in the oceans and life in the jungles and life on the savanna and life in our forests and all these animals. And keep in mind, there were crazy animals back then that we don't even have today. The, the Bible calls one a behemoth. Behemoth, which we think is, or Leviathan, which we think are like dinosaurs and these giant animals and these small animals and these perplexing animals and incredible things. And he said, what? They, they are good, good. He created you and I and all of our complexities and our chemistry and, and all those things and, and how he breathed into us and gave us spirit. And he says, it's good, it's good. And then we come to 2 Peter in which the Holy Spirit is whispering to Peter and saying, you are going one day, you're going to cross into the entrance of the kingdom, and it's not going to be a good entrance, right? The Word says it's going to be a grand entrance, a thousand times greater than good. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be spectacular. I submit to you that if God created the heavens and the earth and he says, this is good, what do you think he has in mind when he says it's going to be a grand entrance? It's going to be incredible, friends. And so I would tell you that the reason why, why do we do what we do on planet earth? Why do we contend for our families? Why do we build a home that is a home and not just a house, not just a domicile? Why do we build something that will last, will last for, for, for a generation, for our kids and for our friends and our families to go through and experience peace and joy and love and experience God's goodness and his grace? Why do we go to the effort? Because one day all of us are going to cease breathing. And for those of you who are Christ follower, for those of you who've said yes to to King Jesus to be in your lives, you will come into the entrance of the kingdom of God, and it's not going to be okay. It's not going to be ho-hum. It's not going to be you going into the side door, the service
servant's entrance where no one can see you. No, you're going to be there during prime time. And the, the, uh, the entrance into the kingdom is going to be spectacular. It's going to be a spectacle unto itself. It's going to be all of creation cheering your name on, saying, you're almost there. You're almost there. Come on. Come on into the kingdom. Come, come, come. You're here now after a lifetime. And you're going to experience the glory of it all. The glory of experiencing what it is to live life faithful to King Jesus. And now you're seeing your return. You're seeing your reward in front of you. I find myself getting ahead of myself, though. Let's go and back up to verse 3 of 1 Peter chapter 1 as he's sharing about the kind of people, the kind of homes we need to have. First of all, Peter tells us, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We are received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Verse 4, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by the human desires. Friends, do you find yourself where you're in a place where you go, I just can't do it anymore. I just can't do it. The, the choice is in front of me. I don't know how to navigate this. Life is too perplexing. My family is too perplexing. The problems that we are facing in our home, too overwhelming. I give up. I surrender. I can't do this any longer. Friend, if that's where you're at, take heart and take courage because where you're at now, it's you understanding that you're in the position you're in right now and it's just you. It's just me, myself, I. I can only count on myself and I can only count on my wisdom. I can only count on my strength. I can only count on my reserves. And guess what, friends? The, the bad news is if that's where you're at, you're in a bad place because you don't have enough. You don't have enough to do it. You don't have enough to overcome those problems. You don't have enough wisdom. You don't have enough strength. You don't have enough power. But the good news is that for those who are Christ followers, for those who count on the name of Jesus to, to speak into your life, the promise we have here is we have the promises of God at our beck and call. We have God's wisdom in our ear. We have God's resources at our fingertips. And we have all the resources we need to do life, to create an enduring home that will last whatever life throws our way. We have all of the resources, the word says, because we can count on God being there. We can count on God enabling us. We can count on, count on God empowering us. And so Peter is saying, take heart and take courage that whatever you're facing, God is facing it with you. Whatever you're struggling with, God is there with promises for you to lay hold of and to lean into. Verse 5 continues on. In view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith. Supplement your faith. Grow your faith. So in other words, this is what, what Peter's saying. He's saying, hey, because of all of these things, God is giving you some plans. Just like if you were building a physical home, you wouldn't just walk up as an artist and say, you know what, I'm just going to build. I'm just gonna, I, see, I see a hillside here. I'm just going to start building. I'm going to lay a foundation and I'm just going to, whatever, just do whatever. If you do that, if you attempt to do that, you're crazy, right? That is a total waste of resources. You are not going to be pleased with what you have. If you're a wise builder wanting to build your dream home, you do what? You start out with some plans. 
Those plans might get augmented. They might get changed in the middle. You might, might, might make some tweaks to them. But there are some blueprints in front of you to begin following. We see here in 1 Peter, God has given us some blueprints of how to build your family. And we see some things. He goes, start with faith. Start with faith. Supplement the faith that you have. So in other words, he's saying, hey, we're beginning with, with trusting Jesus. You're trusting in God's providence, God's grace. You have faith in him. But supplement that with a generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. You see, that's the goal of what we're all being built into. That is the goal of our spiritual homes that we're all wanting to create is to have a home of deep love. Deep agape, deep love that only God gives. We want to be people of deep love. But Peter, it seems, is saying, hey, that's not where a person begins at, right? You don't, you don't start out, you don't say the very first day that you say yes to King Jesus, then the, the, the next minute, man, you have this deep compassion, this deep love for people. That's not the way it works. What you begin is, Peter's saying here, he's saying, hey, you, you need to start with your faith that you have. Why don't you? Why don't you just simply put, put some moral excellence into your faith? What's he talking about? He's talking about, he's talking about virtue, right? Uh, Paul describes the same kind of moral excellence in Philippians to the Philippian church. Paul describes it in verse 4 uh, or chapter 4, verse 8. Do we have that verse up? Uh, Paul is saying, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts. Moral, you know, get your virtue going on here. Fix your thoughts on what's true and what's honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things. Paul is, that's his description of virtue. And Peter's saying, hey, put, put virtue into your lives. He then says, once you're beginning to, to add virtue and moral excellence, put knowledge in. What is knowledge? It's not about getting smarter about the Bible. One commentator I read over this passage said, knowledge is living wise in an unwise world. We live, let's face it, in a very unwise world that it seems like unwise living gets patted on the back and it's, it, everyone's encouraged to be unwise. And, and Peter's saying, live with wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is, is, another commentator said, is understanding the will of God for your lives. To discover and be able to decipher for yourself and know what God's will is, what God wants from you. Out of that, add self-control. Self-control. In the first hour, I had imaginary conversation with Glenn. Uh, he wasn't here, and so everyone got to experience me doing some puppetry because uh, I was speaking on behalf of Glenn. But today, we have the, this hour, we have the privilege of having Glenn, who is a, a noted and noteworthy horseman, here with us. So, Glenn, I'm going to ask you a question here. I hope you play along. Now, I grew up, you grew up watching Billy Jack, where he... He took care of the wild mustangs on land, and we thought, wow, what a beautiful thing. It's, it's beautiful. But I'm guessing if you had a bunch of wild mustangs on the, the Baxley farm, on the Baxley property, and they're just running all over the place, that would probably be a bad thing, would it not? Yeah, Glenn's shaking his head yes. Because wild mustangs, wild horses have a way of tearing up things, don't they? Yes. yes, yes. So here's my question, Glenn. Of all the things that we can do, with wild mustangs, wild horses, what uh, what are they? We could we can choose to to ignore them, right? We could we could kill them, right? Like the evil 
like the evil city, city dwellers, they were going to shoot the, the Mustangs, right, in Billy Jack. Um, or we could tame them, the third thing. Glenn had it. Thank you, Glenn. You played along very nicely. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I appreciate you not saying, well, we could do a fourth thing. We'd get a helicopter to bring them out of there. You know, then I'd be like, well, I don't know how to preach that metaphor, Glenn. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So wild Mustangs, we, we choose... A farmer, a rancher chooses to ignore them and just let them be, and they, they're going to have problems. They're going to have a lot of problems on their land. You could say, you know what, I don't want them. They're not, they're not indigenous to this land. I don't want them here. I'm going to shoot them all. Or you could say, I'm going to figure out how to tame them for, so that they can be good. They could be good for something. They could be good for someone. Is wild mustangs just like the passions that God has given us? And that's what self-control is. You see, God has given us passions. He's given us desires. We don't have self-control. We let those desires just run amok, right? Doing whatever we want to do with, with them. Well, we could sit there and go, well, we'll we're going to ignore it. And guess what? That's going to bring disaster. You know, a lot of religious people say, well, let's, let's just kill those passions. Let's kill them. They're not meant to be there. And I would argue, no, God placed them. You know, we were born with passion. We were born with these things in our life. They're supposed to be there, but they're not supposed to just be running out of control. So let's do something else. Let's do a third thing, and let's figure out how to tame those passions so they're under the control, they're under my ability to, to, to wield them in a responsible way, in a healthy way, in a proper way. That's self-control Peter's talking about. He's telling us to add endurance being able to persevere, because let's face it, we live in a quitting culture, don't we? When life gets hard, we quit. It's too difficult, let's just quit. Friendships get difficult, quit. Uh, families get difficult, quit. Jobs get difficult, quit. Schooling gets difficult, quit. When it's hard, quit. That's the world we live in today. And, and Peter's saying, no, the kind of family, the kind of people we're meant to be, we learn how to endure. And he talks about godliness, understanding the heart of God and living that out in our lives, brotherly affection, having compassion for people, being able to not just look at other people and going, well, that's them and I'm not one of them, so I don't care about them. And then all those things developing and growing into, into brotherly love. It's a mouthful of things, a mouthful of lists. Honestly, with my preaching, uh, what I typically do is I'd pull one of those things out and talk about it for 30 minutes. But, but here, Peter gives us this list, but, but I believe they're all interlinked. They're clearly all interlinked, and we see this play out in verse 8 when he says, the more you grow like this, the more you're developing these things, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Peter here is reminding us that our faith is not a one and done. You see, some people think, well, the Christian faith, I got baptized as a baby, so I'm one and done. I'm good now. I can do whatever I want because I've been baptized. So that's all I need. Some people think, well, I was confirmed. I had confirmation in my life, uh, and so that's all I need. I can do whatever I want as long as I try to be a good person, kind of-ish-like, then I'm okay. You know, uh, evangelicals will say, well, I prayed a prayer. If I prayed a prayer, I prayed a prayer of salvation, I prayed to ask Jesus in my heart, I'm good now. Everything's good. We don't have to worry about anything else. But that's not the testimony of Holy Scripture, is it? Uh, Holy Scripture is telling us that, that our faith is not a one-and-done kind of thing. But our faith is, sh is shifted and it's shaped by our ability to engage daily, to engage moment by moment. What am I talking about here? 
I'm talking about consistency. Understanding that when I say yes to King Jesus, I don't just say yes for the big things, and I don't just say yes in this monumental moment. When we baptized, last week we had such a great privilege of baptizing Becca and baptizing Dax. And guess what? Both of those people understand that they're not sitting there going, well, I've been baptized. Okay, did that. Cross that bridge. I, uh, I checked that off like Tony checked off running a marathon, half marathon. But no, that's a part of the journey, isn't it? Because when God calls us to his kingdom, it's under, it's under a blanket of day by day shaping our faith, shaping our hearts, shaping who we are. And it can only be done with consistency, friends. You see, too often we live life in a very inconsistent manner. We say, oh, God, I'm here. I'm here because I woke up and I'm feeling good and I'm feeling strong and everything's going just right. And Okay, God, I'm here and I'm ready to engage with you. But then the moment that maybe we don't feel strong or maybe we don't feel healthy or maybe we don't feel good or the moment that something we, is coming against us and we're dealing with a struggle, then we cave and we crumple and we're just saying, okay, I'm out. I'm done now. I'm done. You're not going to see me. You're not going to hear from me, God, for however long. I'm not going to be around. I'm not going to be engaged. We live life like that, and then we wonder why we're not getting anywhere in our faith. We wonder why our family's not shaping up. Our spiritual home's not being built like we thought it should be or like we thought it could be. The reason being is because we lack consistency. Consistency is not, and I'm not trying to explain, you got to figure out how to be consistently right all the time. You got to be consistently perfect all the time. You got to be consistently good. I'm just, consistency is the idea of showing up and saying, I'm here, God. I'm here and I'm ready. Let's, let's move. Let's make this happen. Help me. Help work in me, God. I'm saying consistency is just showing up and just saying, God, God, I'm here and I don't know that I'm ready to be here. I don't know that I want to be here. I don't know that you can use me for anything, but I'm here. And so what will you do with me right now, God? That's what I'm trying to describe and what I'm trying to talk about is Peter saying, hey, it's the faith and we're growing by walking every day, walking daily, developing, seeing God develop in us. Sometimes we do win just because we show up, right? And we're willing to show up day in and day out. Verse 9, Peter continues on and he says, but those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from the old sins. Peter's saying, hey, without consistency, we tend to be short-sighted. We tend to forget. We forget even the things that God has done for us in the past, right? We forget the, the good things and how God's delivered over the years because we're being so inconsistent. And then he continues to to write to the, the people of that day and say, so dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those that God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Man, you want to be a person where you're not worried about, man, am I going to be, am I going to be as faithful in the end of my life as I am at the beginning of my life? Well, continue to develop, continue, continue to spend and build into your life, not just faith, but moral excellence and knowledge and self-control. Continue to allow God to shape you in these areas, to develop that brotherly and sisterly affection. And we'll see that we will have just the same kind of heart today as we did when we were first when we first came into the kingdom. And why? Why do we do this? Not so that we can just say, done that, cross the line off there, cross that, you know, fill that box right there. But so that we have the honor to know that when one day our breathing ceases, 
that God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's the reality, friend. One day, one day you will cross that finish line. You will go into the kingdom of heaven. You know, truth be told, it's scary for most of us. Most of us, you talk about death and you find yourself, the tension creeping up because you don't want to think about it. And I get that. I understand it. I, I feel that too because, because we don't know, right? And it tends to be the human experiences. When you don't know, then you get nervous. You get scared because you don't know. But I just, because I know my God, because I know my God, when he says all the great things that we cling to so tightly on planet Earth are good, and then he describes the entrance into his kingdom as, as grand, not just good, as grand. I have to trust, and I have to believe, I just believe it in my inmost being, that the first moment that I experience and see the face of King Jesus, and I cross into his kingdom, which is now my kingdom, part of my kingdom, when I cross into that, I have to believe that that will be the best experience that I will have ever experienced in my existence. And it will be yours as well, friend, if you've trusted in Jesus. And so I just simply ask you this question. As we're thinking about consistency and we're thinking about just doing daily the things that God is calling us to do that Peter writes here in his passage in 2 Peter, what do you need to lean into this season? Do you find yourself being inconsistent? Do you find yourself just being just being cold or hot when it comes to the things of God? Do you find yourself just missing out sometimes uh, because of whatever, circumstance or happenstance even? What do you need to lean into? Do you struggle with consistency in living out your faith and growing and walking with the Lord and making a strong home? Let's pray right now. Father, we come before you. And Lord, we put our lives in front of you We open ourselves up, God, and just ask you, would you speak into us in this very moment? Do you find that your people tend to be inconsistent? God, we're we're enthusiastic and we're, we're willing to step up one minute, but then life happens and we find ourselves worn out and tired and we find ourselves too busy and we find ourselves just ready to give up and just not engage you whatsoever, not engage people around us whatsoever. Do you find us as inconsistent people? I'd ask God that we would all have, we'd all have the, the wisdom and all have the, the fearlessness to ask you that directly and that you would speak to us and share with us, show, with us, show us what we need to lean into in this season to grow in you, to develop the spiritual homes you want us to develop in our lives. These things we pray in your son's powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.